Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. reading verses 9 through 13 of chapter 12, but just preaching from uh, the three phrases found in verse 12. But now let's give our hearts and our minds to the reading of God's holy word. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon his preached word. Father, we thank you again for this time. We thank you for the privilege of worship. We thank you that you are good to us, that you love us, and you have shown that to be true time after time. We thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ, and we ask, oh God, that you would be our teacher now, that you would open our minds, our hearts uh, to the reality of your great love for us and your commitment to love us. So show us more of that, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so on this Labor Day weekend, I've decided to preach a little bit of a different sermon than what we typically would do, more of a topical sermon that has a little bit to do with what the Lord's been doing in my own life and what he's been teaching me. Uh, Next week, we'll begin our new sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that, and it'll be great. Uh, Before today, I want us to look at this passage and really just this one verse, uh, verse 12 of chapter 12 in these three phrases. And it's really as an overflow of what the Lord has been doing in my life and what I think he's also doing just in the life of our community and our city and what's going on as, as we deal with ongoing uncertainty of grief, of pain in so many areas of our life. Uh, a number of years ago, Robert preached a message from Second Chronicles 20, uh, which included the great prayer, which many of us have repeated over the years, that is, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And that really is a powerful, beautiful message. We're not sure what to do. Oh God, our eyes are on you. I love this prayer because it really does reorient our lives so much away from ourselves and onto him to quit trying to defend ourselves or to make sense out of something that's impossible and instead simply to turn our gaze upon the Lord Jesus and let him be our defender and for his will to be done in our lives. That is the Christian way. So what I hope we'll see this morning 
Uh, my desire, my prayer for us this week has been that what are some of those practical things that we do as our eyes are upon him? So as we look to him, as we turn our gaze toward him, what do our, what do our lives look like as we do that? Uh, I've entitled the sermon, uh, What Do We Do When We Don't Know What Else To Do? What do we do when we don't know what in the world to do? Our eyes are on the Lord, so what are we doing now? And part of the answer to that, I think, is found in this text here from Romans 12 and verse 12. It's certainly not exhaustive of our discipleship and following Christ, but it's part of that. And that is that we rejoice in hope, that we're patient in tribulation, and that we're constant in prayer. As some of you know or have heard, uh, my personal life during the month of August has made for some really good sermon illustration material for Robert. Uh, typically, you don't want your life to match good sermon illustration for Robert, but that, that's kind of been what's going on for the last few weeks for me. Uh, in early August, I had this really strange uh, virus that affected, attacked my hearing in my left ear. I made fun of Robert returning from sabbatical with long gray hair, and then he made fun of the fact that I couldn't hear him as, I was make, as he was making fun of me. It was true, all that's fine now, but it was kind of an odd thing. And then in mid-August, there was this uh, mistake made by uh, uh, when I was getting a routine oil change that caused one of our cars to have a blown engine. Uh, and the business that, that allowed that to happen graciously, graciously, let me drive their advertising car while the, it was being worked out. And of course, that was just too good for Robert to pass up on. So one day, I have a clown car here in the parking lot, and we all heard about that. So both of these things, as strange as they were, uh, honestly, they were a little bit funny, but if I could be perfectly honest, they were also a little bit frustrating. Yes, funny, but a whole lot of frustrating. Uh, now, neither of these were particularly that serious, certainly not the car, and even though they pale in comparison to some of the issues that people in our community are dealing with, I have to admit that there were some moments where I found myself simply saying, seriously, Lord, what are you doing? Really, what are you doing? Because I'm not sure what else I'm supposed to do. And throughout those weeks, this Romans 12, 12 continually came to my mind and was repeated from the text that I felt like the Lord was continually putting before me. So here's my question for you this morning. What do you do as a follower of Christ when you don't know what else to do? When you're in the middle of a crisis or you're in a time of frustration or a pain, or a disappointment, whatever the case may be, and you know that the Lord is your only solution, what is your life to look like as you seek him? And I want to answer that in part this morning by these three phrases found in verse 12 of Romans chapter 12. Three things that we can do is that we can rejoice in our hope, that we can be patient in our tribulation, and that we can be constant in prayer. Let me highlight these three this morning, knowing that this verse is found right in the middle of Paul's message that the application to God's powerful, mysterious reign in our life is that he is constantly showing us his love for us and then our love for each other. So it's in this context that we are to grow in each of these three. So first, let me deal with the issue of hope. The Lord says here that we are to rejoice in our hope. This seems like such a simple command. It sounds very much what we would expect scripture to say and what a preacher to teach. But yet these terms are not that hard to understand. Rejoice is obviously in the instruction that our hearts are to be full of joy, joy, even we could say happy. 
What's difficult is that when we put the two terms side by side, when we put joy and hope together, that we realize that in all practicality, it doesn't seem like they should fit together. When you see hope, what that means is that our hearts and our minds are longing for something that we currently do not have. We would not be hoping otherwise, but there's something out there that we want that currently we do not possess. To hope for whatever is a declaration that your soul is painfully aware, I don't have something. I'm in need of something. To hope for whatever that may be for you this morning. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a perfect family. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a wayward child to come home. Maybe it's a financial miracle. Maybe it's a deliverance from a disease or an addiction. Whatever it may be, you first have to admit that God has chosen to not yet provide whatever it is you are longing So it's strange, dare I say it's difficult, to connect these two words, hope and joy. And yet, this is exactly what the Lord calls us to do, to rejoice for what you're waiting to receive. As I studied this passage, it becomes really clear that the dominant message here in Romans chapter 12, and truly throughout the entire scripture, is that whenever we see the word hope, What's really going on is a reference to our ultimate hope. That is, as Paul says in Titus chapter 2, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. When you hear hope used in Scripture, what we're referring to and what we're hearing is that our souls are longing for Jesus to come back and to make all things right. And ultimately, that will not happen until he does. As Christians, our earthly hope is ultimately based on the reality that Jesus has promised that he will return to this earth. And at that time, when his father sends him, then our hope will be fulfilled. Our salvation will be complete. That day, and only that day, will bring an end to all injustice, all suffering, all self-righteousness, all anxiety, all depression, all unemployment, and all death. It will then all be over, and we will reign with him forever. That is a promise, and based on the authority of God's word, that is true. So now, apply that. That means if Jesus does not come back tomorrow, by definition, you will have good and right and godly desires go unmet. To rejoice in hope is the reality that only God through the power of his Holy Spirit, can provide you with the fruit of the Spirit, that you can have joy as you don't have everything your soul longs for. I love Psalm 112 that Eddie just read for us, particularly verse 7. It says, He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. You know what that implies? It implies that there will be bad news. But the person of the Lord does not fear that because his heart is secure, trusting in him. My prayer for us as a body of believers this morning is that we can be honest about a couple of things. First, as long as we have hope, it's okay to admit that we also have struggle. The two go together. 
It's okay to be honest because otherwise we would be dishonest. But also, as long as we have hope that our confidence that Jesus Christ will never leave us nor forsake us will make us people who live in anticipation of the Lord bringing about all of his holy will. That we are people who can grow in confidence that he is going to do exactly what he said he would do. And when our minds and hearts are centered around our ultimate hope in Christ, we will look at our lives today differently. We'll look at our work differently. We'll look at our families differently. We'll look at our frustrations differently. We will even see when the Lord answers our prayers, when the Lord is merciful, when the Lord makes provisions that are unique that could only come from him, that all of these are mere ways of growing our anticipation for our complete provision. And this we actually can be happy as we wait. Some of you all waited all summer for college football to get here, and it finally came. But you know what the problem is, even for Bulldog fans? By Thanksgiving, it's for the most part all going to be over. For some of us, it'll be over long before that. So what do you do when you don't know what else to do? You set every fiber of your being on the future glory that is ours in Christ. And you hope in him. You rest in him. And you live right there, hoping in all that he will do. If all you ever have in this life is the guaranteed promise of Jesus' return and your future glory with him, is that not enough? If so, you can be joyful today. So first rejoice in our hope. But secondly, along with this joyful hope, we are instructed to be patient in our tribulation. Another difficult coupling of words. Patient in our tribulation, or some versions would say affliction. Tribulation here means uh, it has the idea of your life being, quote, under pressure. Uh, It's something that produces pain, and it's difficult. Even historically, the idea here is that the process of grapes being squeezed to produce the liquid inside of them, that is what pressure is about. That's what tribulation is. That's what the affliction is. So just for a moment, let that picture sink into your mind. When the Lord allows us to go through seasons where it feels like we are being pressed on every side, When it seems like there is pressure all around us, our desire is for that to come to an end. And yet what the Lord is saying, no, 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 no. We are patient as that process is going on. We're patient during those times of struggle because God is the one doing a work inside of us while he prepares us for our future hope. Earlier in Romans in chapter 5, Paul says this, We rejoice, yes, in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. It's connected. Please note here, the tribulations referenced here are not just random things that happen because we live in a fallen world. That's not what this is about. This is about those things that the Lord allows us to go through that he could have prevented But yet he chose to allow us to go through them because he is at work inside of us. He's shaping us. He's changing us. Again, let's all agree. 
We aren't looking for this. We want it to come to an end. But the Lord is so committed to us, he allows pressure to happen. Again, let your heart reflect on the command. Be patient. That is, let the pressure do what only pressure can do. Again, it raises the obvious question. What on earth is good about being squeezed by the things that the Lord could stop at any moment? Those things that he allows in our life. I suspect many of you know the answer to that, but we do need to be reminded. So hear this. Throughout Romans and throughout all of Scripture, God is so committed to you to show you his love for you that he will use whatever means is possible to prepare our hearts and our minds and our bodies to be his servants for all of eternity. And that means he will allow affliction. So we must have categories in our mind and in our heart that we can't fix everything in our life. We aren't designed to. Rather, we must see that Jesus is fixing us. I certainly do not know all that this means, and I cannot speak into every single issue in your life, but please know in general the implication is obvious. We should all expect some form of problems in our life because that is proof that God is working inside of us. It's by his grace we don't just endure those things, but rather we can be assured that we can go through them patiently knowing that the Lord loves us so much he's changing us. You know, I, I laugh about telling the, the car story of my car that uh, the engine was destroyed. A lot of people have enjoyed laughing with me. Uh, but there's a new chapter to this story that Robert just hasn't had a chance to preach yet to share about this. So they, they couldn't fix the car, so they, they bought the car for, quote, fair market value. And then I had to find a replacement with that fair market value uh, or a little bit extra. So I found this used Toyota pickup truck where I was told that it would, quote, run forever. And I thought, well, that's great. I, that's what I need right now. I need something to run forever. Well, forever turned out to be four days. <laughs> the following Tuesday, the engine on that car also blew up. I learned a quote that I had never heard before. It's called an engine through a rod. I'm like, I don't know what that means. And the man looked at me and said, it's not good. So if you're keeping score, that's two blown engines in 11 days. Um, I'm on the side of the road on the Bluegrass Parkway. I took a selfie and sent it to my family. It's 200 degrees outside, and I'm on the phone arguing with AAA to come and pick me up. The picture on my face is I am not hoping joyfully. I am not patient in my tribulation. I'm literally saying, Lord, seriously, what are you doing? But it wasn't long after that. That I was back in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, in these words. And the Lord was reminding me that he was lovingly reorienting my entire life to his good will. He was renewing my mind that cars will come and go. But also, he was allowing pressure to reveal things in my life that needed to grow, to be changed, for my character to grow. There are things in my life which need to be exposed that only pressure could do. 
There are times that I have a quick temper that does not fit inside the kingdom of God. The way in which that is exposed is with pressure. You see, these things are reminders that the Lord is producing godliness in us. Again, cars come, cars go. Some tribulations are more painful, more personal, more unexplainable than others. But patience for us all today does not mean that you have to have all things figured out. It means that you trust the one who is doing the work. It means that your heart truly today can be encouraged by the Lord who is at work inside of us. So for you this morning, I don't know how long your personal affliction will last, how long your personal tribulation will continue. I don't know how the Lord will work it out, how he will write the story. But I can promise you this, it is not being wasted Your heavenly father has not forgotten you. Know the pressure that you face today, he is using for his good, for our good and for his glory. He is showing us all that his kingdom is greater than anything else. And he will bring about his salvation in his timing. Again, I don't know for you. Maybe all things COVID are driving you crazy. Maybe you've been crazy about all things COVID for a long time. Maybe there's ongoing family drama that you've fed up with. Maybe school is exhausting. Maybe work is unfulfilling. Recognize these things are pressure and the Lord is not absent from them. These pressures are what they reveal is God at work to prepare us for eternity with him. Let God do his work, what only he could do. So what do you do when you don't know what else to do? You rejoice in your ultimate hope. You're patient in your affliction. But then lastly, this third phase, quickly, that we are constant in prayer. These two words seem to fit nicely together. God calls us to turn to him, not just academically or not just in theory, but practically as a lifestyle, as a way of prayer. You see, prayer is really something that you cannot fake It's not something that you can tell someone you do, but in reality, you're not doing it. To pray to your heavenly Father in the name of Jesus and the power of the Spirit is to actually do that. It reveals that I am turning away from my self-dependent and my efforts, and I'm going to turn to the Lord who created me. Prayer practically reveals that our hearts have been changed, that our trust is in him and not ourself. To not pray declares to yourself and to the Lord, I can handle this all by myself. And friend, you can't. You weren't designed to do that. God never gave you that ability. You will not find joy in your own ability. Not ultimately. It won't happen. It can't happen. So rather, God calls us to live in prayer, to turn to him, to call on him each day, to not give up. And as you pray, God will hear your prayers, and in his sovereign way, he will answer them. So what do we do when we don't know what else to do? We hope, we live patiently as he's changing us, and we live in prayer to him in an ongoing way. This is the Christian way. Please know this morning, Jesus longs to return here for us. 
He was patient in his affliction. He is patient now. But know this, Jesus himself this morning is praying for you. He went through all the tribulations so that we will ultimately have all the hope that is possible. What do you do when you don't know what else to do? You turn again to this table as we do every single week and you are nourished by the promises that Jesus is coming for you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and ask that the Lord will indeed prepare us to be fed by him. Father, we are grateful this morning. You love us in Christ. You are committed to us beyond what we can understand. And you have proven yourself time after time to be good to us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your providence. We thank you that these things are true. And we pray now in Christ's name. Amen.